0: Thank <laughs> you. Uh, welcome back to We're All Stories in the End. Joining me once again is a man who um, I, I got told off last time. I didn't give him enough of an introduction. <laughs> um, I didn't give him the introduction that befits an Emmy Award winner. <laughs> um, so I'm going to try and do better this time. <clears throat> All right?
1: Okay.
0: How are you?
1: I'm fantastic. I, I was I was waiting for a big long list of uh... achievements from the
0: um, it has got a n- nice hat
1: Nice hat, got up this morning
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> And managed to have a shower
0: Dylan Rees Dylan Rees yeah.
1: Yes, uh, I'm very well, thanks for having me back here To uh, talk about Doctor Who books
0: Dylan, I'd like to read you a poem
1: Okay, fantastic i love Excellent. to be serenaded
0: Here we go <clears throat> In defiance of the endless night she focused the intertrigal light <laughs> into broad sweeps of pale yellow, reaching above and below. <laughs> now, that's from page 236 of uh, Damaged Goods by Russell T. Davis. <laughs> Do you think beautiful. he wrote this late at night? <laughs> uh, possibly, possibly. <laughs> Didn't he write it in about two weeks or something like that? I think famously he did, and I remember a quote. Where he said something along the lines of "Um here's my first three chapters i've not I've got no idea where it goes, but trust me, this is what I do <laughs> and on that basis, they commissioned it, and it was it was duly fantastic um in many ways, I think this is possibly the most important of the virgin new adventure novels, obviously because of who this young Welsh screenwriter would go on to become um At the time he wrote this, so it was published in 96, so he would have probably written it earlier in 96. He had written, I think he kind of started out in Why Don't You? He'd done Century Falls and Dark Season and um, may or may not have been doing Coronation Street at this point. I'm not that familiar with his early works. Um, And then he, he gets to write an official Doctor Who novel.
1: Yes, his only contribution to the Doctor Who canon.
0: <laughs> Imagine if that were the case.
1: <laughs> I mean, what a contribution.
0: Well, I'm thinking now, I mean, yes, yes, but if if he hadn't brought the show back in 2005, probably Mark Gatiss would have, and, and yes. we wouldn't be sitting here talking about Doctor Who today.
1: No, we'd all be going, do you remember when they brought Doctor Who back and it was rubbish?
0: Yes, yes, I do. <laughs>
1: And it
0: was on Um, BBC Three at 11 o'clock at night. So, and we can't really talk about this book without mainly, I think, looking at his body of work for the TV show that came afterwards. But I think this book very firmly lays out the Russell T. Davis agenda. It does everything that he would go on to do just in chapter one. You've got characters called Tyler. You've got references to It's a Sin. You've got council estates. um, You've got much, much gayness going on, which is all yes. rather lovely. Um, and a reference, I think, to Why Don't You? You know, it, it's all there. It's all there from, from day one. What did you make of make of this book when you first read it?
1: So, I mean, I first read it... I want to say Doctor Who was back when I first read it I think it would have been about 2007, 2008 So I came at it knowing it was very different um, To Russell D. Davis's take on television But also, as you say, it's very similar It has all his workings of character And it's his version of Doctor Who It's just amped up to 11 on the adult scale Because it's a new adventure and that's, and that's what you did And that was what Doctor Who was at the time so coming back to it like I it's one of the few books that I have strong memories of certain bits and certain characters and I think it's quite interesting I remember years ago Russell saying in like a in one of his columns in Doctor Who magazine that he has two versions of Doctor Who stories. He has the big sci-fi version that's a lot more complicated and then he has the one that he ultimately writes and puts out on BBC One because he, he knows who he's writing for. He's, he's writing for a broad audience. So the cliche is sort of, oh, Russell doesn't really do complicated big sci-fi ideas. But this proves, A, that he can and B, that he's... Good at it, I think. I mean, it's just got—it's there's so many exciting ideas, but fundamentally, the thing that gets you the most is all the characters are so well sketched, and you know, you know who they are from from the offset.
0: Yeah, I think it's um, what distinguishes it from the bulk of the new adventures, and what unites it with Russell T. Davis television Doctor Who is that it's essentially a human drama with you know a a medium-sized but by no means large cast it's yeah. mainly set on a council estate there is a sci-fi idea to kind of give you a doctor who kind of through line but there doesn't need even to be that um and then it all gets wrapped up with a, a deus ex machina because he's reached his word count and he's off down the, <laughs> the pub. so But um, So this was the first time, obviously, we'd seen him as a children's writer before. You might not have watched Why Don't You, you might not have been alive, but I did watch the last couple (laughs) of seasons of that, that he was writing, and he he did make it rather wonderful. Have You've seen Dark Season? I've seen Dark Season.
1: I've seen... I remember Why Don't You... And Dark Season, when I got it on DVD, I was convinced I'd never seen it before, and then the moment I put it on, I recognised the terrifying title music and the characters, and I was like, maybe I was four or five, but I I had seen Dark Season. And Century Falls as well, when I watched that, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this.
0: So, but I think this is the first time uh, RTD is writing something kind of under the radar, like he knows this isn't really going to impact his TV writing career this is going to be read by 3,000 fanboys who really should move on Um, (laughs) and a lot of people have remarked that underpinning most of what he writes um, and certainly in his more recent dramas it's kind of more obvious but he's actually fundamentally a very dark very bleak person he's very very um, you know cynical and this book gives free reign to that. And you've got this really dark story about, you know, cocaine and borderline child prostitution <laughs> and so on and so forth. And just the the furniture of the prose. There are all these throwaway references to people jumping out of windows or stabbing themselves. or Yeah. It's, it's a really dark book.
1: It's a real interesting look at what it is to be poor in the eighties, nineties, whatever. It's 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 so it paints such a vivid picture. And like, I'm not from that background myself, but I know people and knew people as a kid who lived in council estates. And when you think back at it now, you're like, oh, of course that that is exactly how it was. And just the, the, the detail he goes to for some of the characters. There's this moment, like, it's just um, she, she had spent the afternoon in Irving Park, snogging Frank, Jan's boyfriend, and then punching him and demanding money, or Jan would be told, five quid, five quid richer, Bev Bed went home, essentially. <laughs> and there is no need for that detail, but you can absolutely see a kid, especially a very poor kid who needs money, doing that sort of thing. And there's all those... All, all those other... There's so many little touches like that that you're like, okay, you, you just... You paint such a vivid picture of each of these characters and they've all got their own little stories. Like, there's that... Um, the family where the the man is an abusive partner and you don't really... He's just seen as very angry to the kids, but then later on you find out that he's abusive and it's like, that that texture almost doesn't need to be there, but it just makes it such a... For, well, quite a preposterous story, such a real world event at the same time.
0: I mean, it was, I found it a little unrelenting. It would have been nice if there'd been a few more kind of just nice people in the book, but that's. David's
1: that's, a nice person, right?
0: Yeah, we like David. Um, yeah. d- that's about it, I think. Um, mm. Do you. So. And all of that stuff is um, a departure for RTD at that point in his career as a writer. I think it's probably quite a departure for the the new adventures and Doctor Who. I mean, the closest we've seen to this would be survival, and I don't think there's much (laughs) kind of overlap, really. Um, I mean, there's a
1: big lesbian subtext in
0: in survival, whereas
1: here there's just cruising.
0: Yes, yes. Um more on the nose <laughs> just a little yeah. and speaking of speaking of on the nose, what do we what do we think of the sentient cocaine storyline? Does that belong in Doctor who I,
1: I I've been thinking about this a lot recently, so to sort of put this in context, I read this while I was on holiday, and the the book that I read before it for another podcast was Combat Rock. Have you ever read it? I have not
0: I I know it's by Mick someone I I can sort of see the cover
1: Mick Lewis, it's a second Doctor Jamie and Victoria story about cannibals and prostitutes essentially Um, and it's got
0: Victoria in it
1: it's got Victoria in it, yes I
0: have questions
1: (laughs) (laughs) and so I read these two books back to back which are nothing like Doctor Who as we know it and in my mind, I was like, does Doctor Who, should Doctor Who be like this? And we always talk about Doctor Who as a format, is so flexible. And especially at this time, I kind of go, why shouldn't it be like this? And I think the answer to the question is that, yes, Doctor Who can absolutely be like this. It's a valid version of Doctor Who. But I think it could only happen at that time. Like, I don't think somebody comes along now and writes a big finish or a book... They're not doing this version because Doctor Who's got such a wider audience. But when you're dealing with a fan base of 10,000 people or whatever, and 99% of them are over 20, I think it absolutely has a right and a will to to be this version of Doctor Who. And I think it goes to show how special this era of Doctor Who was, that it is absolutely able to do this stuff, even if it's not what we would consider Doctor Who now.
0: Yeah, I think... Um... Back in the nineties when these books were coming out, most of us um, you know most of us fans who'd completely failed to give up and move on. Okay, we'd moved on as far as watching the X Files and wishing <laughs> Doctor Who could come back as some kind of ultra hip nineties fifteen rated adult sci-fi drama. And the new adventures absolutely are that and yeah. do fulfil fulfil. Yeah, that um, that role, but again, you're right. If the show got cancelled tomorrow and we had another five ten year wilderness period, any books that come out are going to be child friendly and written by Justin Richards and not this.
1: <laughs> it's true, and it's, it, is, it it is. It, it's a weird time in the history of Doctor. Was this before or after the TV? But oh, it was just before, wasn't it? It would have
0: been. G- no, it would have it would have been written around the time of and yeah. published a few months later.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. that's it's, yeah. it's interesting when you compare it to. But again, this is just people didn't understand IP in the way that they do now, and I imagine that Philip Siegel and whoever the BBC execs were probably had probably didn't even have any idea these books were being done, and then somebody somewhere in the BBC was a bit like. Oh well, if we're bringing Doctor Who back, we should have the book rights. Where is it? Oh, they 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 do books every month. We well, yeah, we don't want them doing that anymore. But I would I'd love to know what the sign off process was for this and whether, like, you just can't imagine someone Ross T Davis sitting in the office now or Phil Collinson and getting a, a, a book like this and going, yeah, fine, yeah, we'll probably do this. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it seems reasonable.
0: I think probably what happened is um, someone you know, in the immediate aftermath of the, the the TV movie was walking around BBC towers on his phone going also we should do books just in case this doesn't go to series, we should start doing <laughs> books, contact Jeff in the rights department and make sure that we can do the books and Jeff who sold the rights to Virgin about five years ago, he's like oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> and quietly cancels the Virgin contract and gets the books back so that the world can finally get its hands on Terence Dix's *The Eight Doctors*. Some months later, which, which we'll come we, we, to we, that.
1: I am volunteering myself for *The Eight Doctors* when you do, when you do do it.
0: I what what I will need is a couple of months of therapy. <laughs> then I'll then I'll read the book again. Then I'll need more therapy, and then we will talk about it. Okay. So um, the story for anyone who's not familiar with it, um, there's some sentient cocaine floating through the universe which comes to earth and it was created by the patrexes on gallifrey to fight the vampires um it ends up um traveling from south america to london where a a dealer tries a bit and it takes him over and kills him and then the doctor Ros and Chris turn up to do something, um, and there's uh, and th- and then about two thirds of the way through the book, some big disaster happens, and it's just a kind of unrelentingly grim and macabre.
1: Yeah, horror. a lot of people die.
0: A lot of people. So eleven thousand cocaine users die. There's a train crash for no real reason other than you wanted to write a train crash. <laughs> uh,
1: you know, the- rioting. Yeah, the the cocaine users as well. It goes into quite a vivid description of who they are, because basically their heads explode, don't they? Um, And uh, it's like, oh, a 14-year-old boy and a grandma because someone sprinkled cocaine on her breakfast or something like that. It's really relentless. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the the baddie himself, uh, this N-form, as it's called, Mm. so it goes into the body of this guy called the Kappa, so-called, because he... Caps people, um, and he is like, Oh, I need to get rid of this. So he pours petrol all over himself, sets himself on fire, as you do, and then comes back to life because the end forms, uh, strong. And loads of stuff sprout out of him. I think it's it's fair d- to d- say, Gubbins, limbs, yeah. viscera. I, I don't know, I, yeah. Um, it says here the kappa. There's just a library goes, The kappa unfolded, which is not, um, and it's uh. The patch. It describes it as a patchwork face. You know, it's like, and then there's just, like, just things just sprout out of him. So it's basically an animated charred corpse.
0: Yeah, which again, you wouldn't have seen this in season two. <laughs> <laughs> the, thematically, this does not fit in with things like school reunion or yeah. and Claw.
2: Hi, so this is one of the important ones, the only new adventure by Russell the Davies, the big man himself. This is a Russell post-Dark Seasons, but before the grand and crucially before he became a household name for edgy, provocative and astonishing drama with queer folk. This is a man who loved Doctor Who since forever, and probably for 1996 this may have been his dream gig. So what does the future showrunner have to say? And are the seeds of his vision for the TV show planted here? Well, yes and no. So we get a family of Tylers, an inner-city housing estate, a loud mother, broken relationships, a huge set-piece finale with an alien creature stomping through the city. There's kitchen sink drama, a large cast of well-rounded down-to-earth characters, and the Doctor being in as alien an environment as any exotic planet. So far, so new series. And I've talked a lot before in these reviews about supporting characters and how a good author can make you care and a less good one can make them utterly forgettable. And as you would expect from Russell's other works, he's one of the former. Every person lives and breathes on the page. The man can write great characters. There simply isn't a single badly written one in the whole book. Ordinary people can be just as desperate and flawed and unpleasant and monstrous as any alien menace. And Russell knows this. And he also knows that the love a mother has for her children, and the power of friendship, how we hide things, even from ourselves, and how the best of intentions can have unforeseen consequences. It's wonderful storytelling. But beneath the humour and the bickering and the struggles of everyday life in the quadrant, there's an all-pervasive sense of dread, of things waiting, of terror and violence just around the corner. It oozes from the page. Every character is subliminally aware of it. But you'd better not get too attached to any of those characters. Because the body count in this book is off the charts. Boy, this is a bleak and grim and bloody story. We get prostitution and drugs and violence and self-harm and, not buckets, but frankly, swimming pools of gore. And so much death. This is Doctor Who with the gloves well and truly off. An 18-rated version where a man sets fire to himself, someone's cutting half diagonally and another's head falls off. Where a commuter train crashes and thousands die, with more ripped apart by the monster. All that and the suggestion that the Doctor's male companion gets, at the very least, a blowjob in the back of a car. Oh, lest I forget, the Doctor shoots someone point blank in the face. Frankly, I didn't need all of that stuff. The human story was compelling enough without the blood-soaked shocks. I'm not sure we even needed the super weapon from Gallifrey's past war against the vampires in the mix. I'd have been happy if it had just been a story about telepathic separated twins and the anguish that caused. Certainly the speedy finale with its quadrant smashing and the bait and switch of who was in control of the end form felt a bit like they had to be spectacle just for the sake of it. Eva Jericho was enough of a villain, driven to buy things to fill the void in her life, including someone else's child, and driven mad by the reanimated calcified corpse of her own lost baby. It was both terrifying and heartbreaking especially when you realise that her delusions all stemmed from something so small in her childhood. And amongst all the carnage, it was the little things I enjoyed the most. The difficult relationship between Harry and David. RTD's seeming obsession with cramming in as many 80s references as possible, from Neil Tennant to Wogan to Why Don't You to Morton Harkett to 2000 AD. The mention of Marie's Crisis Café in New York with its musical sing-alongs. Check out Overtures in Soho for the UK equivalent was his realisation that you never really leave the Doctor. Chris thinking that a friend of Dorothy meant that Ace might be appearing. Lines like, The voice of a man standing at the heart of an empty cathedral. Don't get me wrong, it's a great book. It's superbly written tragedy wrapped up in a science fiction overcoat. Just like RTD's later works, it's full of heart and passion, and maybe a bit of an overblown ending. You wanted stories too broad and deep for the small screen? You can't deny this is certainly a prime example, even if personally I wish it had been toned down just a bit. Let's not mention those epilogues, though, eh? The other
0: side of the story, and I think the more interesting side of the story, centres on the story around uh, twins and... You've got Gabriel and Peter, and Peter. It turns out was sold Peter Gabriel. about ten years ago. Peter, Peter Gabriel. Yes, <laughs> um, I thought you'd sledgehammer that one home. Um, so, so you've got this storyline about a woman having to sell one of her children to, well, not having to, but but agreeing to to get thirty thousand pounds, and. Um, the the twin that is sold doesn't do so well and spends ten years <laughs> on a life support machine. And the uh, the mother, Mrs Jericho, uh, hits upon a scheme to get some kind of natural justice by returning the damaged goods. Yes. Um, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna nail my colours to the mast here. I think Mrs Jericho is one of the strongest and certainly the most monstrous figures in the whole New Adventure run probably that RTD's ever written and the things that make her so powerful and so abhorrent are class privilege and entitlement and I'm wondering if this resonated with us more at the moment because those things are for some reason I don't know kind of zeitgeisty (laughs)
1: Yeah, I, 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 it is weird. Like I don't think I picked up on that on the first read, and then, as you say, you re, you you kind of look at it now and look at where we are in the world and the, the state of everything, and you go, "Oh, that is that is." I and especially now older, I'm like, I know people like Mrs. Jericho, like who are only a few steps away from, you know, murdering their
0: husband and, yeah.
1: <laughs> and buying a kid.
0: Yeah. I mean I mean you know she's Nadine Doris. <laughs> you could easily see Jacob Rees-Mogg playing her husband. Um and you yeah, know the husband who she murders by sprinkling rat poison on the food that she cooks him yeah. and making him eat it and he knows what he's eating and she knows he knows what he's eating and that's a really horrible scene. Yeah. And uh yeah I just I just found her absolutely you know nine times out of ten with new adventures you, you're reading it and you know so and so's the villain but you haven't really got a picture in mind and you don't really know what they're all about and you don't really care but yeah, yeah. whereas with this you're sitting there going oh, oh, i hate you all oh, your all oh, your all <laughs> oh, your nasty well it, uh,
1: I, last time i was on this podcast i said to you that i have trouble remembering a lot of a lot of the, the events that happened in these books And I think it's a sort of a testament And while I don't think any A testament to Rusty Davis' writing And while I don't think anybody was sat there at the time going Well this is the guy to bring Doctor Who back It is a testament to his writing That this is such a memorable book And 20 like We're getting on for 15 years Probably since I read it It's 15 to 20 years that I There were whole chunks of it That I was like I remember this almost verbatim um, Wow so it's, 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 he, you're right, he just paints the, I keep coming back to the characters and it's a cliche to say Russell T. Davis does characters really well, but he does. And Mrs. Jericho is just one of a plethora in the book. Um, I'd forgotten actually though that she, it does say towards the end that she was infected by the end form at some point, I think. Um, okay. Um, there's something, is it the N form or is it? There's something towards the end that goes. She wasn't actually acting. She was, she, although it's her. It, she was amped up to eleven, right?
0: Yeah. And there's this kind of is it is it the voice, and we'll come to the voice. Ah, uh, yes, it's minute. the voice. That's was it, yeah. it the, right. So, yeah. but the, well, let's come to the voice now. So the Deus Ex Machina that Russell T. Davis uses on this occasion to get rid of his uh, villain is the fact that she's got a lithopedian. Which is bleeding hideously all the way through the book.
1: Yeah, from yeah, a, it's a, yeah, it's an ectopic pregnancy, right? That, yeah, that's having a chat to her.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, because and you can you can get away with a lot when there are psi powers knocking around, but yeah, because of the psi powers emanating from her comatose dying child, Stephen, it somehow sort of animates this ectopic pregnancy. Yeah, um, and it becomes. This presence, which uh, kind of controls her, yeah, it's all a bit ew.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it's not seven o'clock on BBC One, is it? But uh, it's <laughs> it, it, it's interesting. Um, it, it, again, there's so many things that you just couldn't see Rusty D- Davis doing today. Um, but yeah, it's. It, it works within the context of the story, even if it is a bit icky. It's like, in that world, if this is this version of Doctor Who, yeah, it's totally about ectopic pregnancies and whatever and, else coming to life.
0: And thinking about it, thinking about 1996, if that had turned up as the plot of an episode of The X-Files, we'd have been fine with that. That exactly. would have worked entirely. You, so all, all he's done is use the idea in the wrong show.
1: <laughs> Do you know about the... ITV version of this. After this came out, somebody at ITV read it and said, "Could you write us a version of this without the Doctor in it, but just turn it into like a sort of sci-fi X-Filesy drama?" I don't know how far it got, but it was there was a couple of conversations at least that happened about
0: this possibly being its own thing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Four or six episodes?
1: Oh, I think it's a six-part series that isn't six any good. Six-part series.
0: Mm. Yeah. I probably would I, have I, had Helen Baxendale in it, I imagine.
1: <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, it, it would have been one of those niche cult television things that isn't very good. That You know, like Chris Chibnall's The Last Train, was it? That mm. just is never on DVD, ever. And it's yeah. like everyone forgets it, but it was like their first stab at sci-fi. But it's an interesting... It's, it's interesting to imagine a world where... This gets bought back on TV before Doctor Who does.
0: I'm seeing, I'm seeing Jack Davenport. I'm seeing <laughs> who else was big in the in the nineties? Yeah, Baxendale, Davenport, um, Nardini, possibly. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been a thing.
1: Shane Richie's the capper, right? Oh, amazing.
0: <laughs> No, it would have been. Um, uh, it would have been. Probably Leslie Grantham would have turned up as someone. <laughs> oh, yeah, of he'd course. have been Harry probably. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> Hello, David. <laughs> he'd have said. So, um, so we have this lithopedian, which is uh, a very handy way of ending the book, um, and you're left. It's, it's as I said, very much not the usual experience. When Normally when I finish reading A New Adventure, I put it down, I put it back on the shelf in exactly the right place, obviously, because I'm mm. crazy. And <laughs> it's gone. You know, I've yeah. forgotten it, I've moved on, you know, I'm ready for the next one. Whereas with this... It lingers. I remember it lingering when I read it in the 90s. I remember it lingering when I read it in the early noughties. And yeah. it's going to haunt me for a, a good four-day weekend right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it is It is one that's... Because I think you kind of close the book and go, what have I just read? Like, And yes. <laughs> you, you sort of sit there sympathising about the plight of all the characters. Even the ones who it ends well for, you're like... Oh, they're, because they're all very tragic characters. I mean, should we talk about Harry a little bit? Let's do that. Um, so Harry is... Um, he's our way into the story in many ways. He's our point start. of
0: view character.
1: <laughs> Harry is uh, a man who has a gay lodger. Uh, and Harry's wife is dead. And the, the lodger was um, a friend of his wife. Uh, and Harry is a closet homosexual who spends his evenings cruising. Um, and his... his story is so tragic. Like, it just... he- because it just deals with this burning secret that he's got of being a gay man, essentially, and just not being able to come to terms with it. And there's, there's a really horrible moment about the first time he went out and to a cruising ground and fucked someone, and then he comes back and has unscheduled sex with his wife. And it's just like... It paints such a dark image of this this guy just like being like, well, I've got to prove to myself that I do love my wife, and it's... Like, everything he does, just... And he's so scared of being caught out. It's just... It's horrible.
0: I mean, fair play to him for getting it up twice in the same evening (laughs) since the 90s we possibly all struggled with that um but yeah and and he's too scared to really commit or go through with anything so you know in in the book he goes to the park and he he sees someone and he's thinking well i won't i'll go over there but i'm not gonna uh, you know and then he gets brutally stabbed and you know even his his one avenue, he won't let himself experience complete abandon or actual pleasure. He'll sort of edge with pleasure. (laughs) And even that brings him disaster and suffering and pain. And it's so unremittingly bleak. But it's that way that Russell T. Davis likes to write about 80s homosexuality. It's, It's forbidden, it's dangerous, it ends badly for everyone. Yeah. And there's a mention of the Pet Shop Boys single, It's a Sin. <laughs> it's almost like that was playing at some point in, in RTD's bedroom when something very formative <laughs> happened to him, I don't know.
1: Well, uh, uh, there's also uh, the reveal at the end, and this was again something that I remembered, is that you think throughout the book he's about 60, something like that. But Harry's 85 years old. It's revealed like about five pages from the end.
0: I completely missed that. Eighty-five. Yeah,
1: they go. He's, wow. he's at The end. There's like, um, like a unit report, and goes Harry's very sprightly for eighty-five. And it's 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 such a nice little touch, and something you can only do in prose, really. That this, because yeah, you read the character reads at like sixty something like that, yeah, but no, he's really. an eighty-five-year-old man.
0: Well, fair play but, to him.
1: The fact he can get it up at all is a fucking miracle. Yeah,
0: Christ. Uh, well, maybe he's he's party to other um, forms of drug which are uh, not alluded to in the book. Um...
1: They weren't about
0: in the 80s. No, good point. Yeah.
1: You had to inject something. I mean, we're getting very off subject, but apparently the form of Viagra in the 80s was you had to inject something into your penis.
0: Into your... Oh, my yeah. God. I, I don't like, know. Like antifreeze or something. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> I in the 90s in, in fact at about this exact time this book came out I was friends with a doctor who lived in the same village I did uh, outside Canterbury and he actually worked for Pfizer and he was actually part of the team who or at least the way he tells it he's one of the contributing scientists who created Viagra to you know they were they were shooting for something completely different it was supposed to be for heart yeah um or something um but i I don't know why I mentioned that, but if you're listening <laughs> dr tim uh, get in touch um uh miss you and I'll probably you a um did you also in that unit wrap up section at the end of the book, did you spot Marcy from dark season? no, i didn't colonel marcy hatter i believe ah. I believe she grows up and joins unit of all things as if I
1: mean, I wonder if that's the case in the new Dark Season audios. From- I
0: really, right? I really want to mention that very quickly. So, the the new Big Finish um, Dark Season audios box set is called Legacy Rising. Have you ever heard anything <laughs> with a shitter title than <laughs> Legacy Rise? What does that mean? <laughs> oh. How it's like they've taken the two most generic bog standard shit words that they could put in the title and bolted them together.
1: Well, I do think there's a real danger that we are running out of titles for Doctor Who stories, especially with um, Big Finish using them all. I noticed that they've got one out, the ninth Doctor one coming called "Travel in Hope." It's like that's that's barely a title at all. That's just a like lamb, lamb booner I don't know. Like what what's
0: yeah. Like- <laughs> It's not even a pun or a quotation. Yeah,
1: yeah it's just like yeah, so rubbish. I think we're running out of Doctor Who titles. Do you remember when they announced the first series of Doctor Who? The first episode coming back was going to be called Rose, and it was the most groundbreaking alien thing in the world. Yeah, you know, I you know, I come from a world where there are deadly assassins and robots of death.
0: But yeah. all of a sudden, planets of fire.
1: Yeah, and then and all the of a sudden, fields the Do- of battle. <laughs> All of a sudden, the doctors dancing. Yeah, and there's a yeah. bad wolf.
0: Yeah, um, Dave's trousers. <laughs> there's been a lot of uh, a lot of weirdness, but um, I don't suppose you've listened to any of the the, the big finished dark season.
1: No, because life is short. No. Um, it is but... short, and it's not it's not
0: written by RTD, no, is it? It's so probably...
1: one of the episodes is written by Russell T Davis. Not, not exactly. even like adapted. It's the, the the final episode, I think. It is a Russell T. Davies. Good
0: Davis. lord! So
1: I, I'm assuming that's the one. Kate Winslet's in.
0: You would, yes, you would assume so. Like, uh, no
1: offense to Guy Adams, but I'm <laughs> I don't
0: think <laughs> Kate Winslet was like Kate Winslet doesn't oh, get out of bed with, for Guy Adams.
1: Yeah, and no no insult to Guy Adams at all, but it, we're talking Kate Winslet here.
0: Yeah, that's. Um, that's on a on an entirely different note. I watched Titanic again last week. I haven't seen that since ninety seven.
1: Was it because of all the all, all the stuff going on? Yes, in the it news? was.
0: <laughs> it was probably like like most people who watched the Titanic last week. It was because of the uh, <laughs> the, the thing in the news about the the submersible. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, is from the same time as this book and. It's an easier
1: wank though,
0: isn't it? Say, well you say that. I don't know. Some of this stuff about the Patrexy oh, got me going. Um but yeah, she she was um she was marvellous and she was I remember watching Dark Season in I think it was ninety two and just thinking she's too good for this. Um but I also thought the same of the actress that played Marcy Hatter. And has gone on to do nothing. Since. No. Yeah.
1: She's come back to acting for big finish, which has yeah. since happened a lot these days.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Anyone who's uh, you know down on their luck, um, I'll cut that. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so as as we've sort of alluded to, a lot of the kind of furniture from this book found its way into what RTD did when he brought the show back in two thousand and five but um and while that that darkness I think has always been there it's just he's never obviously able to give it free reign because of the you know what the show is and who's watching the show but a large part of that is down to him you know he, he made this show and he could have done anything with it um you know irrespective of what you might think about what he did with the show um
1: and now he's gonna do anything
0: with it again and now he's gonna do it again and we'll we'll come to that but but yeah, you know if if this if this book is like the the dark end of the r t d spectrum and some of his t v episodes are at the the lightermost end of that what what would what would be more interesting for you would you would you want to see a few more things like this
1: I don't know whether I'd want to see it quite like this um it's it's such a conflict in my mind of like, I wonder, Rusty Davis has always wanted to bring back Doctor Who, and I kind of wonder whether it's always that version we got in 2005, or whether, if he'd been asked in 1996, whether it would have looked like this, um, and what I think and would hope is that it's whatever the television landscape is at the time, and um, Although, increasingly, I've said that about his new era and it actually looks like it's just going to be the same old shit, so...
0: Um,
1: And I say that as a fan of Rusty Davis's era, but, you know, I, I... As I said earlier, this could only exist at that time. I don't think I want to see this version of Doctor Who on screen, but I think it's got room to be a little bit more this. I don't think it needs to be quite so graphic. But... I, the thing I love about it Which is present in Ross T Doctor Who But it's more Slovene than forms, Is taking this preposterous Sci-fi idea that's quite a Big high concept and dropping it In an ordinary council estate Where there are real people with real Lives and all of these characters feel real And the response they Have to the chaos That's unleashed on them is Feels like a very real response So I, I, I think, I mean we're probably skipping ahead a little bit but there is an audio adaptation of this which I've not listened to since it came out but um, for anybody that's listening now all being all being well at the same day that this is released we'll also have an episode of Too Hot for TV covering the the audio and from what I remember the audio, they have to rein it in a little bit so I think it probably is a bit more BBC 7 o'clock that version so it'll be interesting to see what the temp- the tempered version of this is
0: yeah, I mean, it's kind of uh, like everything that happened in the first season of the reboot was, you know, set on Earth happening to ordinary people just with big alien stuff dropped in on them. So, this, yeah. in many ways, is exactly what we get. Um, yeah. The other thing, just to go back to what you said, which is, was a great point about. Um, you'd always hope he'd be bringing back whatever the TV landscape of the time is. Mm -hmm. And here we are in 2023, and the TV landscape now is that um, you can do whatever you want and a streaming company will show it. True. So he's not... I mean, he's limited, obviously, in the real world because it's a kids' show that's being co-funded by Disney, so he's not (laughs) suddenly going to have, you know... um, cocaine prostitutes in it no. um, sadly but what if the show had never come back and it was coming back now and it was coming back on a streamer you would have absolutely no idea what to do with the programme so do you think it would emerge as a, a slightly more adult dark thing or do you think it would go back to kind of televisual first principles
1: I think it would be I think it would be darker but I think I'm thinking more like a stranger things than you know, than this. Um and these elements do show up like in in Modern Doctor Who, but they're more coded. Like what is the woman in um the next Doctor? I forget her name, but she's basically a sperm prostitute. Like that, that it's all inferred <laughs> yeah. there, but it's you know, it's not there. Um I don't know whether you'd ever do cocaine, but then is this
0: <laughs> is well, the end that, form... We'll talk about that off air if you're <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, it just makes me really arrogant and uh, and talkative, and I'm a podcaster, so I'm an arrogant, talkative person anyway. That's um, true. Christ, uh, imagine <laughs> what you'd like. Okay. The thing about Doctor Who is, yeah, the thing about Doctor Who. Um, what was going to say? But in the inform—it's sort of a bit Nightmare on Eden, if we're being quite reductive. At the same time, you know, like yeah, no, drug yeah. monsters. Yeah. Like so, these things can be covered, albeit not in this form
0: yeah I think you know it's an interesting parallel what you just said about it would be a bit like Stranger Things and if Doctor Who had been brought back to TV properly in the 90s it would have been like the X-Files and I think I think possibly there's an argument that Doctor Who will always keep coming back and maybe it will always come back a bit like whatever the prevailing sci-fi thing in the zeitgeist is Um, who knows And again, now there's all this talk of it becoming like a, a, like the the Marvel Universe, you know, and having all these different
1: with Bonnie Langford.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, so in many ways, it's always got a, a kind of paradigm just over its shoulder, whether it's the X Files or Stranger Things or Marvel or whatever. It's evolving and trying to do different things to, you know, be be of its be of its time. Yeah, I suppose I suppose the last thing we should do is have 5 minutes on on what you think is going to happen for the second in Second. I was going to say second incarnation. That'd be ridiculous. <laughs> He's not regenerated. He's not a time lord. He's yeah. a Welshman. They're different. He's
1: a gay lord. <laughs> That's a very eighties nineties thing that no one says anymore. No one says gay lord, do they?
0: I love. I love it. And what I particularly like about living in America is it's a legitimate name over here. You get you get adverts on TV for like gay lord plumbers. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, you well, know... I thought it was a
1: very right-wing environment you lived in.
0: Oh, if <laughs> No, um, no, really not. Um, and it is, it's such a great expression. Uh, Rob, Rob Newman, off of the Mary Whitehouse experience, which, again, is a TV show that probably <laughs> predates you, used to do this, this great thing about... In the, 18th, in the 1800s, they played gay lord tennis and the, the <laughs> loser is the first man who shall break a sweat... <laughs> it's, it's all about a gentlemanly, gentle pursuit. It's really funny. Um, but, yeah, so so where do we think... Um, because I'm probably going to put this episode out around the time of the 60th. Where do we think the show's going to go?
1: I, I had quite strong opinions on this, um, but the more they just announced, um, like... It's Phil Cullinson And it's Murray Gold I wonder whether it is Just the same thing again But Done for Now I mean I would hope that RTD has a strong enough handle On the Modern television landscape That it is something different I've got a sneaking suspicion That it will be different And it'll be something That Doctor Who fans will hate Like To the point of like They'll all be going Bring back Chris Chibnall Always is forgiven. Um I think I think it's gonna be camper. I think it's gonna be bigger than ever before. I love this whole thing of everybody's going, oh, the Marvel universe and things, which seems like the obvious comparison and big spin-offs and stuff. But if you look at the people involved and you're like, so what's the spin-off look like? Oh, well, it's Bonnie Langford and uh, Gemma Redgrave and Freema Adjaman and like, all great people, but it's like, that that isn't, you know, WandaVision or Loki right there. I mean, when you look at the spin offs before, like, Sarah Jane was very much tailored at kids, but kids don't watch television anymore, which is a problem. Um, it's, you know, one of the few shows they do watch is Doctor Who. Uh, and so I don't think we're getting a kids spin off anytime soon. And if you're doing an adult one, Torchwood possibly took it. Torchwood always feels the most new adventuresy in
0: terms of. Oh, it, don't it's say that. I love <laughs> the new adventures.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's what Doctor Who fans think being adults like when <laughs> it's, it's when, just... when
0: you're fourteen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I my hopes are that it's a radical new reinvention of the show, but it's probably just a big camp load of fun. <laughs>